0: Hello everybody and welcome to episode 30 of the Showbound podcast presented by Axel Watches. I'm your host Michael Raskin here alongside Ethan Cardwell. and Cards, not only do we have a big 30th episode for the listeners here, but a big week in Ontario as you know, we're able to go outside again and get some golf, get some tennis in. So what's up with you? I know you're vaccinated now. Congrats.
1: Yeah, true. We um, got my vaccine on Saturday, I think so. Still takes a little bit to kick in, as we all know, but,
0: uh, yeah,
1: Pfizer. So feels good taking my talents to Pfizer, but, uh, no, it was, uh, it definitely feels good to have it and have the second one scheduled and hopefully those can even be moved up. So, you know, just keep our fingers crossed and keep getting people in those clinics and getting vaccinated and get some, uh, normality to the situation we got going uh i don't even know if that's a word normality. no you're good that was great yeah that's a, word. <laughs> a little, little vocab for listeners okay, okay. well um. uh yeah that's pretty good but yeah no pumped about golf courses i know me and you have been talking about we've gotten out a few times um so yeah my my game is kind of brutal but it was not bad yesterday so it's a it's a work in progress but it's still early
0: Cardsy yeah, shoots a 74 and says his game's brutal can you imagine <laughs> everyone's just losing their mind shaking their head right now but yeah we got some big uh, golf stuff planned in the summer like we uh we've been kind of hinting at and Cardsy and i have a nice little meeting on the golf course coming up next week about it with uh our, our potential sponsors so we'll see how that goes but i mean we got a big uh big week of the nhl playoffs we just got to touch on here before we send it to our interviews i should say because um, everyone probably sees it's a bit of a longer episode uh, we got two interviews this episode we have uh, it's a Saginaw spirit focused episode with the general manager Dave Drinkle and the head coach Chris Lazary. and I know Laz was fired up to get on because he wanted an axle watch so bad they both uh, listen to all our episodes because I mean we've had a lot of SAG guys and we appreciate them but honestly um, maybe some of the most interesting talk we've had on this podcast it was very uh, insightful and entertaining for me so I'm excited to get that out there for the listeners but yeah like i said nhl playoffs so um Cardzie, i i texted this to you but you called out matthew shane last week you said he had a, a maybe a slower regular season and then what does he do he goes and scores a double overtime winner for nashville in game three so uh 2-2 in the nashville carolina series so i don't know i mean did you see that goal
1: yeah um i mean you called he I said go. that's for yeah. ethan cardwell in the media at show on podcast um <laughs> But no, yeah, I honestly, man, when you call somebody out, they always tend to burn you. So good for him. A good. Ontario boy there. So I'm happy for him. I like the guy's player and stuff. So I think he's a great player. And if he can keep rolling and they can keep rolling there in Nashville, I think they got a chance. Although I like Carolina on home ice.
0: Yeah. And uh, what do you think about the Leafs and Habs series? I know we don't even need to get into the Tavares stuff and all that, but um, just a quick, quick one. It's two one for the Leafs right now in the series. We're recording this before game four uh Tuesday night so what do you think of that series so far
1: honestly man I don't think a Canadian team's gonna win the cup I know you don't want to hear that I know you're a big huge Leafs fan but <laughs> honestly they, I don't see the intensity level in the Toronto Montreal series that we have seen in the I don't know the well Florida look
0: series at, like yeah, look the Boston Florida, Washington look at
1: Boston yeah they don't have that grit and I don't think like Matthews won't push back and I like he's just kind of laughing it off and I don't really like that in playoff hockey you know I'm I'm more of you want it you want to play gritty and I, I think that's where these teams like boston i think would beat the leafs in four or five
0: you know what i mean i i'm not gonna say i agree with you but i definitely understand your point where i mean it is not the same level of i think intensity the scrums every whistle type of thing that you're seeing in the american series and yeah your point with matthews he's kind of just laughing every time someone touches him which is
2: mm-hmm. hilarious
0: as a viewer but no i agree you kind of want to see him get in there and uh, rough it up but uh moving on uh Edmonton Winnipeg series it's over now Winnipeg with the sweep couple overtime games and um, that one was just crazy Uh, good for Winnipeg I mean we said on the podcast that uh, we were both picking Edmonton and it was funny because we talked about the potential Leafs Oilers series and we were getting some hate I don't know if you saw on TikTok and Instagram some guy was commenting that Edmonton's gonna destroy the Leafs in the second round we're clueless we don't know we're talking about and Edmonton doesn't even win a game in the first round so just for those like few people commenting that Edmonton superfans on our TikTok, like, yeah, come on. What are you going <laughs> to say now? <laughs> yeah, man, that was actually...
1: But if anybody was going to take down Connor McDavid, it would have been Winnipeg. They're so deep. And their team, I honestly think they got to... Hellebuck plays good. They take the Leafs.
0: Yeah, I mean, he is arguably the best or one of the best goalies, like, defending Vesna goalies. So um, mm-hmm. that's 70% of the battle, they say. And, and uh, you know, they are deep and with, with getting their injured players back. They're looking good, so as a Leafs fan potentially playing them, that's a little nerve wracking, especially cause they kind of matched up well against the Leafs in the, in the regular season. But yeah, moving on. I mean, what about Pittsburgh Islanders? I know you're the Pittsburgh fan and that's an unbelievable series right now with the Islers on Tuesday, as we record this leading three, two with a big overtime win last night,
1: Josh Bailey hometown kid here from Bowmanville. Um, so I actually, it's funny because I was playing road hockey the other day or roller hockey and, uh, Josh's brother walked by Jordan and uh he's like "Cardsy," and then we just ended up catching up talking for like 15 minutes I'm like it was game one when I saw him and I'm like you're gonna be watching tonight He's like oh yeah I got the fingers crossed and then sure enough he his brother pots the pots the goal on game five so good for him and shout out to the Bailey brothers for that one
0: yeah and then like you said one of the most intense series the Tampa Florida one uh that one's just pretty crazy <laughs> what do you think of that oh
1: yeah it's a battle man i think florida has got a chance spencer knight kept him in it you know he he played well and he played sick tipper, yeah might as well throw a showbound bump tipper leading uh all rookies in playoff scoring with four points so that's pretty exciting for him and uh, we'll have to get him on after maybe they win the cup who knows they could turn this 3-1 deficit into a win we'll see
0: yeah and uh uh is it 3-2 now maybe
1: well yeah, yeah yeah it started 3-1 now it's 3-2 oh so. yeah yeah okay and then um
0: i mean sam bennett's been going crazy for florida all over the score sheet too, since the trade from calgary so uh good for him getting a fresh start and then uh vegas minnesota vegas is up 3-2 in the series as we record but man minnesota's finding a way to stay in this one and uh you know what we thought might have been a lopsided series is really close do they play tonight uh, i don't think they play tonight i think they play wednesday yeah they play they play wednesday
1: if you're listening to this wednesday morning the series ends tonight um it's over vegas guaranteed and game six guaranteed
0: okay bet the house on it
1: (laughs) yeah hammer it hammer it home lock it lock of the year
0: and then uh we got two more st louis colorado that was just colorado absolutely wept like the floor with them so i mean like we said we both
1: thought them potentially for the cup at the start i well i called it at the start of the year you kind of you backed my opinion too right
0: yeah and i i do have colorado going to the cup in my bracket and losing to the leafs so um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you just you just botched your whole bracket because the leafs aren't getting out of the second
0: round we'll see we'll see i mean we gotta get past the first round before we even think about that and then bruins capitals that that had the makings of a of a legendary series but the bruins kind of ran away with it and good for them i mean i hate the bruins but you know a well-earned series win for them They're the big, bad Bruins, and they're
1: back, and they're tough. They play hard. They're running, guys. Marchand's a rat. Bergeron's sick. Pasta's unreal. McAvoy. They could win, man. uh, They could really win the cup this year. No no doubt in my mind they could. I think the only thing – well, they have a bunch of rest. Colorado has a bunch of rest. And I'm going to go back to my point. I'm going to defend the Canadian series a little bit. The lack of intensity could be due to no fans, too. Because those other teams, they have fans. It in makes middle. a they, difference. Absolutely. Yeah, like those Florida games, full crowd. So, like, it's going to it's gonna play it. Well, not full, but, like, it's going to play a factor for sure. I know it's it's a lot easier to get fired up in the crowd there. So, we'll see how the Canadian team reacts when they get out of the uh, north.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting. First time playing in front of fans for in a long time for those guys. But also, I mean, maybe they come out a little less bruised and banged up than the other guys do. So, it could be an advantage if you look at it that way. Um, yeah, for sure. Now, uh, we should send it over to Dave Drinkle, our first interview, but before we do, I just want to mention that Father's Day is right around the corner, and you probably need a gift for a hairy dad. Make your dad proud this year and get him and yourself the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the Lawnmower 4.0, and you can get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND at manscaped.com. Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming and just launched their Lawnmower 4.0. Imagine surprising your dad with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized body hair trimmer that says your balls will thank you on the box. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. You might ask, how is this lawnmower 4.0 different from any other trimmer? Well, this upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage a travel lock. This is a great feature for your father or yourself if you do a lot of traveling. It also gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. You can now shave your balls in the dark. Who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> the lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 to 4. We talked about that last week. If you're using size 4 on your balls, that might be a little insane. Um, <laughs> the new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction, which can help the battery length last longer. You heard that right. Wireless charging ball trimmers are a real thing now. Have you ever seen a nose bush sticking out of your dad's nose? Well, the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer is the best nose hair trimmer on the market and the perfect gift for your pops. They also have other amazing products like cologne, crop mop, ball wipes, crop reviver, ball toner, and crop preserver ball deodorant. For all the females listening, you'll appreciate this part. Manscaped products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, dye-free, and vegan. I mean, everyone, not just females, can appreciate that. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SHOWBOUND on manscaped.com. Get your dad a gift you know they will use. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code Showbound. Don't forget you came from your dad's balls. Show your home some love with Manscaped. Wow. That was a legendary read. Actually, shout out to uh to us cards for uh, officially signing a three-month extension with Manscaped. So yeah. Um, might have the to no out shout that out that to thing. the listeners because uh they wouldn't wanna, you know, keep supporting us if you guys didn't support them. So we got a good little supporter group of us and Manscaped that's kinda carrying uh carrying us forward here.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, it uh it definitely helps. It's it's nice to have those sponsorships and yeah, that goes back to our fans. So the yeah, uh the more the more you uh codes we use for Manscaped, the better for the show podcast and the better content we're gonna create. So I mean just keep hammering uh and keep uh, keep that bush clean.
0: <laughs> and there's they're sending us some more stuff cards. They sent you the picture. But I mean, we might have like every Manscaped product now. And they're all just so sick. It, it's oh. actually awesome. I show my friends and stuff like everyone's pretty jealous. It's unreal, man. I, I love this
1: stuff. And I mean, we're we're just super lucky. Like we said, we have three great sponsors and Gavin uh, Manscaped and Axel Watches. Mm-hmm. I mean, just keep supporting us and kind of helping us through and keeping making good content so without them this wouldn't be
0: possible so shout out to them exactly and now let's send it over to dave drinkle
3: all right drinks welcome to the pod super happy to have you on no i appreciate you guys having me on it definitely you guys are doing uh very well fun to listen to and i was just telling rast that when i'm driving back and forth to Saginaw and berry where my home is it's fun to listen to you guys and listen to our former players and their stories it kind of brings you back to the couple of years ago when we had a good run there
1: yeah, definitely. And I know we're going to get into that probably in a little bit. Um, but what's been going on with you lately um, in a long off season as a GM, kind of just trying to stay busy and then
3: upcoming into the OHL draft here soon? Yeah, it was a very obviously tough off season, and it didn't end the way anybody wanted it to. But right now you turn your attention to the draft. Um, very unique year. Every GM's in the same boat. We're watching a ton of video. Any video we can get our hands on, any information we can get on these prospects, you really have to feel for them um, not being able to showcase themselves the best they could this year and not watch them play minor hockey. But we're doing the best we can. What We feel like we're prepared for it. We're picking 15th, and then um, it should be an exciting night. But it's one of those drafts that's going to be very unpredictable, and um, it'll be uh, fun to see it unfold. Yeah, definitely, and I I kind
1: of was talking about it with you and a little bit with Rask too. And this is a year where we could see a late rounder who didn't maybe get seen so much. He didn't maybe get out to the showcases that they had in Ontario. Just kind of a sleeper pick who uh, who turns out great. And for guys, maybe you haven't seen. What What are you kind of looking for?
3: Well, I always say one team wins the draft, right? And why not us? It's going to be you know two years from now when your team's built around these O fives and 04s. fours. They're going to be key parts of your organization. You got to make sure that you draft well. Um, a big part of it is developmental, like the, the developmental side of things and how we kind of run things in Saginaw. And Chris Lazary and the job he does, but getting the right pieces that fit. And, and the problem with the showcases are the showcases were great, but it was kind of the same guys there all the time, the same top sixty guys. So you didn't get a wide variety of guys that might, you know, you might have gotten in the later round. So again, you're calling coaches, you're using connections, you're trying to find out the best you can on their character and their background and and their skill set but a lot of it um, is unknown a little bit to you but you're again trying to dig up as much info as possible
0: just to kind of follow up before we uh, move on about the NHL draft for example a guy like Cardi, I want to know how much do you think his NHL draft could be affected or or like any OHL players NHL draft could be affected the one specifically that didn't get a season in
3: yeah, I think it will be affected quite a bit, but it's funny talking about cards. Yeah, I'm still getting calls from NHL scouts on Cardwell. And the funny thing is a lot of the calls I get on them are, you know, when you traded them, was there an issue? And I know we'll talk about that later on the podcast. Like, no, no, there were zero issues with Cardwell. Like you'd be getting a hell, a hell of a kid, a hell of a player. Um, But it, it definitely affects. And I feel terrible for guys on our team like Josh Bloom and Tristan Lennox and T-Bone Codd and you know, you look back at last year's draft and what Evangelista did in, from 16 to 17 and what Tyson Forrester did right, right there in Barry in 16 to 17, like, would that have happened to one of our guys? Would that have happened to other guys in the league? And, and for sure it would, because it happens every year. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't get a, case to, a chance to showcase themselves. But, you know, we're sending video to NHL scouts and GMs. Um, Laz put together a video package for Bloomer and, and Cod and Mancini and Smitty and Lennox, and we're sending those out to scouts all the time, and, and they're really well done, and obviously, you guys know Laz, he's very articulate in how he does things, and um, we're getting a lot of positive feedback. So we're trying to push our players the best we can, but it is the unknown. It's like us in the OHL draft. We're, we're drafting guys a little bit unknown, but at least they had the chance to watch these kids at 16 in our league.
0: No, exactly. And you said it with the the people stepping up in their second year, the Forrester example is a good one that I know our listeners are aware of, but yeah, it's the confidence we talk about it every episode, the confidence coming back in your second year that really carries you and can make you, you know, so much of a better player. But uh, I want to kind of take it back through your career uh, in management and hockey for a bit before we kind of get into what's been going on with Saginaw. And I know you mentioned before the podcast, you spent a long time in Barrie. You spent nine years in Barrie. Uh, for the Barry Colts organization, starting as an analyst, video coach, to assistant GM. So I just want to know how did you end up kind of getting your first job in the Barry Colts organization?
3: Yeah, well, I grew up just north of Barry, a little town called Elmville, Ontario. My family still lives there. I still have all my friends from back home, really close, small community up near Wasaga Beach. But I grew up a Barry Colts fan. Like uh, I'm an 82. They came in the league in 95, 96. So I was at 13, 14 years old when. When the Colts came in and they had some really good teams back in the day and, um, you know, always had a dream to be a GM, always had a dream to work in hockey. I went to university and took sport administration in, in Laurentian in Sudbury. Um, when my degree was done, I came back home and I just cold called Barry because I knew Jason Ford, who was a media relations director at the time, had taken the same program, program in university as I did. Um, I came in, met with him. I started volunteering the rest of that 2005 year, five, six year. The next year, they were looking for a guy. um, Marty Williamson was the coach, and then they brought Marty in the podcast. Marty was looking for a guy. And and to credit to Marty, like you talk about analytics now, he was a little bit ahead of the curve. Um, He wanted a guy up in the press box tracking where shots are coming from, what kind of shot opportunities they were, were they high-danger shots, all these type of things. And back then, you kind of did it manually. Um, So I would would travel with the team, do all these stats, relay them down every every, um, intermission and kind of help him any way I could. then I got promoted to video coach and when I got into the video coach role I really got a lot of help from Darrell Woodley who was the head scout at the time I really wanted to keep working my way up to management so I started scouting tournaments with him he was unbelievable took me with him everywhere he went that I wanted to go Um, really helped me sharpen my eye for judging talent Um, got in on that and then as Jason Ford moved his way up from media relations director all the way up to GM he kind of kept bringing me along with him so I owe a lot to Jason and and then eventually I became the assistant GM. And then I was in the meetings with, you know, Dale and Howie and, and Jason and contracts and, and re- really heavily involved with the draft and spent four years in that role. And I was lucky enough to get interviewed by Saginaw. And um, fortunately for me, it was my only ever GM interview. And I got the job and I absolutely love it. And here we are in year six already. It's pretty crazy how, how quick time goes by.
0: Wow. I mean, that's, that's crazy to come up. But uh, before we even get into Saginaw, I'm curious, as the assistant GM in Barry, what what's like a day in your life like? I imagine a lot of it was scouting,
3: right? A lot of it was scouting. Yeah, it's funny because the beauty of this job and being an assistant GM or a GM or working in hockey, it's not monotonous. It's not the same thing every day. Um, you deal with some issues that come up. You are dealing with a lot of teenagers in in the OHL. Um, you're working a lot on scouting, a lot on scouting reports. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough with Dale as the head coach when I was the assistant GM. He would let me jump on the ice every day and I'd push bucks for him. So that was a little bit of fun to get away from, you know, doing reports constantly for, you know, eight hours a day. You go down the ice for practice, screw around with the guys, have some fun. And, but it, for me, it wasn't screwing around. It was really listening to Dale talk, um, structure, systems, what he's looking for. And I would always anal- analyze that back to how I'm scouting, what my head coach wants, what we're looking for in the organization, and just to be involved with it. But it, it varied day to day, but you're right. A lot of it was scouting. A lot of it was relaying, relaying information back to Jason and just doing whatever I could on the hockey operations side to um, help try to build a winner there.
1: And um, no, I guess those uh, push and puck sessions paid off because Rask, I got to tell you something funny about drinks. He's got uh, probably the most accurate shot of, uh, of any GM or player in the league. So <laughs> when I was in my first year, and uh, I think this was my first year, and um, yeah. I, was, I was just on a scratch date or something. And th- this happened a few times, and I would just be out there hanging out on the ice and drinks would come on. And, um, I'd be like, Hey, let's play some posts. So we'd go shoot for all three posts. And I think like two or three times in a row drinks, just hit one post crossbar, other post done. Like it takes me like about 12 shots. This guy's three and out. So most accurate shot going in the OHL yeah, for sure. Got to lead by example.
3: <laughs> I think yeah. uh, there's a lot of luck involved. I think you guys are trained to score goals. I'm just getting lucky hitting the post, but it's funny because I remember courage. like, no, no, we're doing it again. We're going to put a lunch on it. And I'm like, you know, here's a, here's a young kid that we're calling up, 16 years old, he's playing junior A. He's an unbelievable kid, and I'm like, I'm not taking his lunch money, he's like, no, no, I'll double or nothing, 20 bucks, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna teach him a lesson, so I beat him again, luckily, like, he should kill me, I got lucky, beat him again, he came in the dress room after, you remember he handed me 20 bucks, I took it from you, yeah, and when you're, when you're <laughs> heading out the door, I'm like, no, cards here, take your cash, I'm not taking your money, yeah, no, he I remember to that,
1: with him that, that was a good one. But um, yeah, that
3: kind of takes us into SAG.
1: As you said, like, I didn't realize that was your only uh, kind of GM interview. So in 2015, 16, you get that job. Obviously it's a no brainer to take the job for you.
3: Yeah. Do you know what? They, they were awesome. I, because I worked in Barry so long, obviously you know a lot about Saginaw, but we only played them twice a year, once at home, once on the road, being in the West. So when I started traveling with Barry as this fat guy and, and doing video, um, we'd go to Saginaw as part of a three-game road trip. We would go to the rink, play the game, stay in the hotels up on Tittabawassee Road for a nice area where all the teams stay. And, and that's all I really knew about Saginaw. Um, it's an unbelievable town. But once you get there and I, and I met the owners and they toured me around in my first interview, I'm like, wow, this place is a lot deeper roots than I thought. It's a great spot, beautiful place. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't think I was going to get the job. I was very happy to get an interview. I was 32 years old at the time. At that point, I was kind of young to be a GM in the OHL. Um, we went. I drove there for an interview. I just wanted to go through the process to kind of learn what it takes in an interview to help me for the next one if I didn't get it. And it was like a two-hour interview, and they were awesome. They were very in-depth on how I was raised, um, what my sister does for a living, what my parents do, um, my values. It wasn't just all hockey related. Like, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of hockey questions like, what do you know about our 50-man roster? they would pick a player off the 50 man roster I'd tell them where he played minor hockey and where he is now. Like I was, I was very in tune with all that, but it was very detailed. And I was impressed by, I think they were really trying to learn about the type of person I was as well as my hockey knowledge. So I left that interview and I thought driving back to Barry that night, I thought, um, you know, I couldn't have done anything different. If I get the job, that's great. Um, I I thought I nailed it. Right. So a couple of weeks later was the NHL draft in Fort Lauderdale. And I went down there with the, with the Colts guys and, I met with Craig Dawson again, the president of the team and met him at the rink again. And he kind of, it went from a meeting to kind of like a second interview almost, it was almost like a half an hour meeting in the, in the rink during the NHL draft, thought it went well, came back home and a week later, they called me down for third interview. And now I'm like, I don't really know what to do. I don't know what to prepare for. I, I, I can't go in cold Turkey, but I don't know really what they're going to ask me. Like, what could we possibly cover? I went down there and it was another two and a half hour interview and, and the time just kept flying with these guys. And, and they're just like, Dick Garber is an unbelievable person and owner. And um, the time flew by, I drove home and they, and they called me and it was actually funny. And Dick loves telling the story. Heard, you probably heard of that one of our development camps, but I was actually working on our family farm, driving a tractor in the middle of a field cutting hay when he called me to let me know I had gotten the job. And, and I'm literally I'm miles from anybody. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And I just put my phone down and I didn't tell anybody. I just sat there, accepted the job in the tractor, sat there, finished the day cutting hay and just kind of soaked it all in that, wow, I actually reached uh, a goal of mine. So it's a pretty cool moment.
1: Yeah, no, I heard that story and yeah, definitely pretty, pretty cool. And as we all know, like achieving any goal, just kind of soaking it in. It's like a, just like a moment where you're just like, wow, this, this really happened now it's, it's legit. So I know Rask, you wanted to further touch on something
0: yeah well I just you mentioned Craig I just want to shout out Craig because he might be listening to this one but I remember I mean you talk about how great they are in Saginaw when uh we were in Frankenmuth last year for the OHL league meetings and I remember Craig who I'd never met he pulled me aside out of a meeting and he was like because he knew I did the social media and stuff for Barry he just said like what you do for your team is the most valuable thing of anyone like Oh, there's like, I can't remember exactly, something like that, like that made me feel so important, so special for what I was doing, which is a pretty undervalued role. You know, you don't necessarily get any appreciation, which is fine. Like I don't need it. But just the fact he said that to a completely random guy to him, it like says a lot about his character. And like, I, I can tell he was an awesome guy and he was a great host that whole uh, two, or three days in Frankenmuth. So, I mean, no doubt, sweet organization, like from the top down. So I just want to shout out Craig for that one.
3: Yeah, no, our ownership group, and I know you guys have touched on it before, Cards, and you know them like Dick Garber, Craig Goslin, Brandon Bordeaux, um, Jim, Jimmy Jimmy DeVolano, who's the vice president of the Red Wings, is a minority owner, and he's been unbelievable for me to, to lean on him um, with a lot of things. Like, you know, sometimes things come up in the OHL, and I don't know how to handle them properly, and I always lean on him for advice, and he's been through everything. He's won, what, seven Stanley Cups, um, so never at the junior level, but he's really intrigued with the junior level because he hadn't really worked at it before, we asked a lot of a lot of questions and, and he's been an awesome mentor for me but our ownership uh gives the players everything they need we feel like we spoil their guys but you know they want to win um we've done a really good job you know with Chris Lazarie their head coach building our organization up and and they, they are those type of guys the raster the type of guys that really give you a pat on the back and, and at the end of the day like who doesn't want to be complimented on a job they've done well right it's it's one thing to get, you know, criticized all the time, but when you do something well any, anybody likes that pat on the back. So it's good that he pulled you aside.
1: Yeah. Um Goose is a great guy. And I know my first kind of visit down in SAG after the fact, um, after like signing day and everything, meeting those guys, great experience. And like you said, once you, once you kind of go to SAG, like it's kind of an underappreciated town. Like people don't understand what it's really all about. And then you go on a tour and you're like, wow, okay. Like this, this place is legit. And this is a place where I'd, I'd love to go spend my time and, play for this city Um, but another thing I wanted to touch on in your time in SAG so far is just kind of like how much of a ballsy GM you are in regards to in in regards to the draft and um, it seems like every player you take uh, if they're committed they show up in SAG and uh, it obviously paid huge for us going on that run my first year but uh, what's kind of the the thought process when maybe you're a young
3: GM in the league and you're drafting guys that aren't supposed to be coming? Well, it's funny because I got really good advice back from Greg Kerrigan when I first started off in in Barrie. He was kind of the acting GM at the time, kind of by committee, and Greg was awesome to me. It It was literally probably my first year that I volunteered there when I was 23 years old, and Greg told me, Dave, he's like, the easiest thing to do in the OHL is to be a 500 team. He's like, you can make trades, you can draft properly, you'll never win a playoff round. Maybe you will win a round, but you'll never miss the playoffs, but you'll be comfortable, and I always thought and, and he didn't use that approach. He just said, that's an easy thing to do if you want to do it that way. And I'm like, I am the complete opposite of that. Like, I'm here to win. I'm driven to win. I want to be the best. Our program is going to be elite. We believe it's elite now. Um, you know, everybody talks with the other good programs in the league, and there is a lot of good programs that we feel we are elite and we are the best, and we're going to keep treading that way. So I was very driven that way, and I always took that advice to heart. Um, I don't I don't want to be, be safe. Like, to me, safe is dead. Like, a lot of people in life, they're comfortable with their jobs and they just kind of go to the, you know, the nine to five. And that's great. And a lot of people love living that way, but I want to get ahead. I want to keep pushing. I want to be the best. And, um, and in order to do that in the OHL, you do have to be a bit ballsy. And my first draft was the 2000 draft. Um, we picked fourth overall and we took Blade Jenkins, who was the top rated player in the OHL draft by Central um, committed to the University of Michigan. He had already committed to the program. Now Blade was an integral part of our team that Carsey can attest to you know, maybe didn't lead the league in scoring, but he was an unbel- unbelievable player for us. He had size, he had skill, um, great character, really helped him and DJ Buzdek really helped bring the Americans to our program. But we drafted him fourth overall and he didn't show up right away. We knew that. But our second round pick that year was Bodie Wild, who to me was the best defenseman in the draft, rated number two by Central behind Blade. Again, committed to the program, committed to Harvard at the time, and he wasn't showing up. So, my first two picks uh, and going into the next year, and we didn't have a great year in my first year. A lot of guys that we did uh, kind of turn over, but they, they weren't there. They weren't there. A 16-year-old that took a lot of flack. Um, the fans didn't like it. They thought it was this young GM that didn't know what the heck he's doing. And, you know, you fast forward and you recruit and Blade ended up leaving the program after a year. And then two years after that, Bodie decided to forego going to school and he came. Um, and, and the rest is kind of history that way. So I, I just... You know, you have to believe in your program. You have to believe in in the development. And to me, like, just taking a player because he reports, like, that's not the right thing to do. If you really believe your program's the best and it's elite and you can really help these young men reach their goals, then why not draft kids that might not come and and convince them to come? Show them we have to offer. It's a recruiting tool. And um, we feel like we always have to recruit a little bit because we are in the U.S. So for us, if we draft a U.S. player, um, we have to recruit him to come to our league because he's grown up with NCAA. If we draft an Ontario player, usually we have to recruit them to the U.S. because it's a different schooling system. It's over the border. You know, we're not a tip-of-the-tongue kind of OHL team like your Barry or London Kitchener that families grew up around. So to us, it's no big deal. We just uh, keep swinging for the fence, and then you're never getting a home run if you don't swing for one. We did that last year as well with Santilli, um, who was the best player in the draft, and time will tell on that. Yeah, well, track record says that he'll be there next year, or the year after. <laughs> so
1: I mean, um, what do you got, Rask? I know you wanted to go into uh, go into some of the trades because, as, as we said, drinks has been pretty ballsy, and we saw that with Fets too. Fets was another commit, yeah. And uh, Fets, obviously, at the world championship right now, doing great, and everyone knows him who's listening right now. But yeah, just another one of guys that uh, kind of came after the factor with a little bit of convincing.
3: Yeah, yeah, we probably should cut, touch on Cole Profetti because he is one of the best players that ever come through the OHL and in our franchise. But yeah, Cole, we were we were drafting uh, fifth that year. We didn't think Cole would ever make it to us, and I know he was committed to Michigan. And I talked to his dad, and his dad was unbelievable leading up to the draft. And and one thing Angela said to me was, "We're committed to Michigan, but if an OHL team can convince us that the best route to go is to their organization, then we're willing to listen." And to me, that's a, a little light bulb clicked on my head. I'm like, we're taking him if he's there. Because that's your in. Like, at least they're going to listen. And that's all we ask for is just the opportunity to sit down with the family, showcase our program, and what we can do for their son. And it's obviously worked out really well for Cole. And, and, and talking to Angelo, Angelo's become very, very close with me and his family. And, and it's great to watch Cole kind of, um, you know, go on to his career. One thing I wanted to touch on compared to you, 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 you briefed over the media day. Um, it doesn't surprise me you guys are doing so well in this podcast because I don't know if you remember this Cardi or not, but we had a media day to announce Ethan and Tristan Lennox signing at the same time, and our media guy Joey Bateno was there. At the, do you remember this Cardi? Yeah, Joey was there at the time, and Joey was kind of giving Lenny and and cardsy a bit of a briefing, and Lenny might have been a bit nervous. There was quite a few media there for that signing, and Joey asked uh, Cardi like, are "You okay? Whatever, you need anything?" And Ethan looked at him and he said, "No, nah, I was born to talk to the media." <laughs> I swear to God, and so it doesn't surprise me that he he is worth doing what he's doing
1: right now. It's pretty fun. Oh, yeah, no, Ras, that was a that was a funny day because I think a lot of people going in, and I was I was a little bit nervous going into Saginaw, but like to meet like the owners and stuff, not really to do the media part. And like I was just like, because going growing up, like doing the golf thing and do, playing always on my own and stuff, always doing like media in that sense, it was like it was just second nature for me. So Joey goes, "You need any help?" Like I'm like. Nah, joey like uh, i'm ready for this one don't
2: worry about it this
0: <laughs> that's, is one of the- that's too good cards i mean you you have that confidence everyone knows it like so to hear Cardsy when you look like you're seven years old your first day in the ohl and you got the confidence to <laughs> say something like that that's 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 you man if there's ever a sentence that describes you
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah no it, it was a funny day but that that was a another
1: sweet day in sag i mean that was kind of cool day for us when we showed up got got treated first class we're in like little limo buses i remember my family and i were driving around with drinks and just kind of seeing the uh seeing the city for the first time and like i said before that's kind of when it clicked like this making the right call to come to sag for sure
0: yeah um well yeah let's get into a couple trades the first one before we even talk about cards because i know every single fan question was about why you trade (laughs) cards do you have any trades that come to mind as like your worst trade you made or your best and there's no doubt I mean, like you're going to make some bad trades. You're going to make some good trades. It's all, it's part of the game, but do you have any that really stick
3: out in your head? Uh, You know, maybe some people think I've made some bad trades, but there's always trades that there's more behind the scenes and people know what's going on. You know, maybe a player's wanted out and I don't publicize the guys that want to be traded or the guys that are demanding trades or what's going on behind the scenes. So at the end of the day, it's all about the guys and I'm going to protect them no matter what. So I'll take the heat if I trade a guy and, and the fans are, Anybody outside the organization thinks it's not the right move, I'll just take that heat and move on. That's part of the job. But, um, you know, early on in my career, I made some trades, like trading Mitchell Stevens, who was a world junior player, and, and all I got back was draft picks. But, you know, I got four seconds, two-thirds for him. Those picks turned into guys that helped with our run. Um, Dylan Sadaway was a guy I traded my first year to Barry. I got nine draft picks for him, four seconds two thirds, two fifths and whatever, like a lot of draft picks. And I I took a lot of flack that way, but I was a big believer in building through the draft. And that's what we did when I was in Barry. And that's where I learned it through Woodley and, and Jason Ford. So I knew I had to get a lot of draft picks in here, high ones to be able to draft your core. And then when you need to supplement that core with trades, you have the picks to be able to do that. And, um, I would say those weren't bad trades, but we didn't bring a player back. So that was tough on the organization in those two deals. Um, and then, and then good trades. Like, I don't know. I just feel like it, I don't want to be the guy that wins the trade. I want to be a guy that is a fair trading partner for other GMs around the league. So it helps me out. It helps them out. Because if you're trying to win the trade all the time, all you're doing is alienating another GM and, and you won't ever trade with them. So yeah, you might win one trade, but next time you go to trade with that team, they're not going to move him to you or they're going to go somewhere else. So for me, having good trading partners, Over the years, it's really helped. You know, you look at the deals I made with Mississauga and JR, and JR's been really tight with me and the deals he's made, you know, getting tip at McLeod, but they got good young players and picks back. I'm dealing with Marty and Jason and Barry, and and now with Adam Dennis and North Bay. Like, I just want to do fair trades for everybody that, you know, can help them out. So, next time they're looking to move a player, move draft picks or whatever, I'm the first kind of uh, name they want to call. And and I feel like we've done a good job about that. But to me, that's just about being honest. It's like, life in general is about connections and relationships and, and hockey is no different. So the better, strong relationships you have the you know, the better trading partner you might have. Yeah. Very well said.
0: Um, I want to know now, I mean, everyone does, how, how did the Card Z deal go down first? Take us through kind of your end of it. Cause we heard Marty's side of it a few episodes <laughs> ago and I guess maybe an explanation on, on why you made the trade. I mean, you know, you brought in some good players. People seem to
3: forget Suzuki came back your way, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, let's take us through that trade. I actually was listening to that podcast with Marty when after you guys did it, and I called Marty right away. I was like, I don't I don't know if that's the way it went down, Marty. And we were both laughing about it. But no, uh, I was, and Card's can to attest this, I was dead set against trading, Ethan. I, I was coming back. We had a great team. Um, you know, even in September, teams were, when you start kind of figuring you're going to be a team to load up and other teams are going to be selling off. Everybody asked about Cardi, and it was an end of conversation. I wasn't doing it um and you can ask his agents would call you're going to move Cardi? i'm like no i'm not like i was dead set again so marty wasn't lying on that front um we had talked a lot about a bigger deal that didn't work out but again it involved Cardi, so it was non-starter and right up to the night before the trade deadline it it was a pretty big deal right if you look at there's a lot of players involved there's a lot of draft picks involved people thought we worked on that deal for a long time we talked the night before the deadline and i said no not moving Cardi. so i went to bed and i'm like i might not do anything tomorrow in the the deadline I had some other teams I was talking about other players not Suzuki because they wanted Cardwell so bad Marty called back at like 9 a.m or 8 30 a.m one last time you know he kind of said well if we put in the rights to Ryan Beck and and Beck's a Michigan kid that was committed to Denver and, and our goalie coach had worked with him and I didn't know if Beck would come but then you start thinking well if I have to give up Cardwell which I didn't want to do then at least Beck's an 0-2 same age skilled player um you know maybe there's something to it but at the end of the day to get a, a high-end player like Suzuki in our league, you have to give up high-end young talent and that, and that's the way it goes. Um, it's unfortunate. And, you know, at, at Barry this year, if they're going to be the team that I think you guys are going to be cards, you might see some young players from your organization leaving to bring in more higher end talent. It's just the way, the cyclical way our league goes. So um, said he would throw in the rights to Beck and we did some homework. it, it we ended up, reluctantly i did it and and it was the toughest day that i've ever had at the gym and cards you can attest to this like everybody thinks trades are fun and, and they they can be at times when you're loading up your team but nobody sees Cardwell coming in my office shutting the door and hugging each other and crying like mm. nobody sees that part of the game like that was cards that was a tough day for me you yeah. know that at the end of the day though it's it's about the player too like i had to look back and the so Cardwell probably would have stayed on our fourth line in his draft here and Is that fair to a guy with his skill set at that time? Probably not. So you look back at the player too, and what's best for Ethan in this deal? Get him to a place where he's going to play top lines. um, You know, continue that. I have a great relationship with him. So it's not like when you trade him that we're not going to be, you know, tight down the road. And obviously you guys brought me on the podcast. So I guess, I guess he doesn't hate me, but um, it was a very tough day. Very, very tough day. But when he goes, I'm not the type of guy, when I trade a guy, you don't root against him. You want him to do well. Like cards, had that four goal game against Hamilton was awesome to see. And, Everybody's texting me. I'm like, yeah, it's great for Cardi. I'm happy for him. Like that's, that's what this is supposed to be. If you guys didn't notice Suzuki had like 35 points for us in 24 games. So or something. <laughs> so he, he's doing pretty well for himself too. Just the unfortunate thing was for our city and our organization is we traded for Ryan Suzuki because we wanted that two year run, you know, two playoff runs out of him. And that was why he had to pay so much to get a player for two years. And we ended up getting nothing out of it because of COVID, but everybody's got a COVID story everybody can complain but the we were at the top and we got to find a way to get back there as quick as we can yep and you know that was yeah. a long-winded answer but it kind of i think oh no, that was
0: great out. that was an awesome yeah. answer no that that covered
1: the bases and i mean that yeah as like you said it was, it was a tough day for both sides because obviously i was so connected to the organization and all my boys there and with you and laz and all the coaching staff there but yeah no he's definitely the best for both sides at the time and then definitely made it a lot better when i buried on you guys in overtime that's what i was <laughs> yeah. thinking <laughs>
3: yeah yeah no that one stung a little bit and then you walk down the hall after the game to see all the boys and you i see and you got a big smile on your face i'm just like because the berry game for me um it's my hometown right like i that's the only game a lot of my family and friends come to and it just happened to be courtesy to Barry. but hey good on <laughs> you man it, it was a heck of a play heck of a shot and yeah, yeah that, that
1: was that was a fun game and i always remind fets because uh he was on an ot too and and he was always top line guy i was playing like third fourth line the whole year and i'd always be behind fets as the o2 and then obviously like we're best buddies in the summer and stuff so to score and then have a picture with him in the background kind of all grumpy um <laughs> it made it that much even kind of more better for me in in a sense um but yeah, yeah. no rask i know i know you got some you got some fan stuff don't you
0: yeah. Now we're uh, kind of, we're going to run out of time. I think if I ask all of them, so we'll, we'll kind of pick a few. Um, I guess one of them, you said you listened to a lot of episodes of the podcast. Who's been your favorite guest on the podcast so far?
3: Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite. I like listening to our former players probably more than the other, cause I know them. And when you guys tell stories, I, I either knew the story or heard about them. You know, my office is right in the dressing room. So the guy I can hear the guys talking all the time and, and it's fun because it kind of reminds me of being young again and the fun that they have. And um, I don't know if I have a favorite one. Like it, you guys do a heck of a job. It's fun. The Ivan ones fun because the yeah. Ivan stories, the Ivan stories are fun, and I got hundreds of Ivan stories as well. And but they're uh, they're good. They're fun to listen to, and they kind of bring you back to that tr- that team and how close our group was in that that year that we lost to Guelph from the conference final for sure.
1: Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to chime in there quickly. Raskin drinks like a lot of people don't know, like everyone thinks like the guys are well-behaved and like pros at all times in the OHL, but it's really not the case. I mean, guys like to have a little bit of fun and drinks kind of, he, he probably sees a lot more of weird things that are going on in the locker room than uh, maybe other GMs. Cause we had such a kind of a weird group there and uh, with like led by Danny and Gator and guys <laughs> like that, just some, just some, uh, some funny stuff was always going on. So yeah, no drinks would have got the, uh, would have heard a bunch of funny stories and seen a lot of stuff and just us m- messing around in the gym and then in, in the lounge. And that that's actually another thing about SAG too, is the locker room. And that's why it's so fun there. I mean, it,
3: Well, we, one, one thing, one reason I think we're so successful cards is like our culture It's like, it hasn't changed since you left. Like we, we let kids be themselves. If you're a fun, goofy outgoing kid, be a fun, goofy outgoing kid. We're not going to try to change you into somebody you're not. And I think, it's just we let the guys have a lot of fun. Uh, we let them be themselves. They're really, really comfortable around myself and Laz and the coaching staff, and that's the way we want it. I really, I grew up in a small town. I'm really a big believer in the family atmosphere and being comfortable with each other and being able to talk to each other and, and be yourself. And if we can create that culture and atmosphere within our room, which we have. I really feel like that's the reason our guys are so tight and why they play play so well for each other and with each other. And um you know, we're not going to do it any other way. And heard you talk about the locker room like I remember the one story that rings a bell after we won a game I was sitting in Laz's office I didn't know you guys did this because I was out of town scouting but I saw McLeod running by Laz's office with all of his gear on like like giggling like a little kid I'm like what the hell is going on and Laz Laz goes he's running to get the ice cream bars because we had one on a Sunday night right he he was so excited to get to the fridge to get these ice cream bars (laughs) and bring them back to the room And I know you guys talked about it with Clowder on the podcast, but like, that's something I had no idea was going on. But if you saw how happy that guy was to get these ice cream sandwiches, it, it was unbelievable. <laughs> and that, that kind of reminds me just of
1: all the funny stuff we did. And um I don't know, you, you probably would have seen like all the introductions for the games uh, and the starting lineups that was like in that long playoff run towards the end, I'd be a scratch with like, and Danny would be up there with me and Hillsy and we'd always come in and fire the boys up before the game or AJ would break his shirt off before the game. But <laughs> yeah. Just, just some crazy things happen to us, but uh, no, yeah, definitely, definitely a special group.
0: Yeah, I know. It sounds like an amazing, amazing group of guys. Um, I'll go one more question and then we can kind of wrap it up. But uh, what do you look for when you're drafting a player in the mid to lower rounds? Like when you don't know that they're really a high end talent type of guy?
3: Yeah. I think guys that maybe are, are late bloomers a little bit, we obviously look for skill and hockey sense, but you know, the higher end guys are gone by the mid to later rounds. I, to me, I'm, I'm a big character guy intangibles tangibles. Um, again, they got to be the right kid that wants to really be a pro and wants to work at the game, you know, and we've done well with it, you know, Mason Millman seventh round pick. And I know you guys talked about that in his podcast, Danny Caddick, who you guys mentioned a ton of the podcast. He's a guy you should bring on cards. He'd be a great, great guy in the podcast. He was like mm-hmm. an eighth round pick, I believe. Um, You know, just, just that skill set that fits into our style. We do play a different game in Saginaw. We're very puck possession. We don't want to chip pucks in at all. Um, so guys that can play that way, guys that are comfortable having the puck on their stick and guys that want to make plays. But to me, um, you know, the interviews are really important. The Getting to meet the families and how they're raised is very important to me. And and one thing we didn't touch on, Curzzy, is the interview that I did with you, your draft here, and, and Rash should know this, up until... You got some challenges now, Cards, because there were some good ones this year. But up until then, Cardwell was probably, if not the best interview by far, I had ever done. And that goes back to my time in Barrie, and I've been doing it for 10 years. But we interviewed, I think it was Angelo and Sato and I, right, Cards? Yeah. So Angelo is our director of player development. He came in and interviewed four or five guys in a hotel room in a conference room outside of Oshawa. And uh, brought Cards and his family in. And I was so impressed with Cards, just the way he spoke to adults, Like, he was talking to us like he had known us for years. and and when he left that room that night and his family was awesome, like his parents were unbelievable. Um, I'm like that we're drafting that kid, like no matter what, we're getting him. Um so he was like he was a big target for us in the draft that year and, and it ended up working out. And I think your brother did like a little thing, eh, Curzzy, Like he kinda wanted you to be in Saginaw too. If I'm yeah. not sure. I, I think well, after that interview, I know like I'm
1: American dual citizen. Uh kinda everyone knows that and like I have roots in America, um, family going back there and stuff. So for me after that interview too, just kind of like meeting with you guys and realizing like, wow, like this is like, that's a place I want to go play. Like I, I would love to go to the States. Uh, not a lot of people want to, but I'd love to, I felt so comfortable. And and that's kind of where we just kind of hit it off. And I was just like, yeah, well Saginaw is now my hope for the draft too. And then everything ended up unfolding and working out that day um, as best as it could for us. So it, it was, that was, that was a good one. And yeah, no, that interview went real well, but it wasn't just me. I'm not taking full credit. Drinks and uh, Angela were, were great, too, making me feel comfortable there. So, I mean, I that's think, awesome. I,
3: I think the keys in the interviews that we do, Courage, and we're doing them now. And one thing I should touch on with you guys is the job you're doing. We've interviewed two or three kids that have brought up your your podcast, Showbound Podcast. So, I, I you know, one of the questions I asked the guys, I, I'm not a big scripted interviewer. I don't have a big list of questions. I kind of just want to keep it a casual conversation to really get to know the real the real kid and their family. And two or three of them have brought up, uh, well, we know a lot about Saginaw because we listen to the Showbound Cup podcast and they talk about it all the time. And I'm like, you know what? I got to make sure Cardi and, and Rasp know about that. So kudos to you guys for sure. That's unreal. That's so cool. Good, good for us Cards. Let's go. <laughs> um,
0: we're, we're about to run out of time here. And this was like, we could have easily went another hour for sure. Like if we want to, but I just want to mention quickly that we are going to be sending you an axle watch. I'm rocking mine right now. I know we already uh, spoke about it before, but, um, you'll be looking good rocking that in the Dow and, um, mm-hmm. it'll be sweet, but yeah, it was, it was awesome having you on. This was a lot of fun for me. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person in the ranks, maybe this upcoming
3: season. No, I really appreciate you guys having me on again. Keep up the great work. It's fun listening to you guys and give everybody behind the scenes to junior hockey. It's, it's pretty neat to listen to. Awesome. Thanks drinks. Thanks guys.
1: All right. You're now in your intermission. Um, you get a five second break and now we're into the Chris Lazary interview. So here you go. All right. And uh, to follow up drinks, we'll see what he can bring to the table today. I know he's getting his axle watch, so he's super excited to be on. Uh, welcome to the pod, Chris Lazary.
2: Thanks for having me. I am fired up about the axle watch. I thought I was getting the other little gift you guys always promote too, the little nut shaper, but.
1: <laughs> hey no you 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 got the facial hair so you got to keep growing the bush everywhere I guess um, until Manscaped <laughs> steps up <laughs> but uh, no what's what's been going on Laz I see you're in the office right now so just I know you said a lot of hard work going on so still kind of keeping up in this off season what do you got going on
2: yeah I think like <clears throat> for a lot of coaches probably this is one of the main times for gathering ideas with the world championships going on obviously you got every Every country plays a different style. There's some unique things you can pull from there, and just uh, you know, how I am with the video, staying up to date with the NHL rules and just what's going on in the playoffs. Just trying to continue to build the, the catalog. But don't kid yourself; I'm on the golf course more often than not, working probably more on my game there. I'm absolutely addicted. So that's
1: good. You, uh, from what I've seen in uh, in years previous, you needed a bit of practice. But you said you got some, you got some new sticks now. So I mean, we'll uh, we'll see next time I get out with Laz uh, how much how much improvements. Uh, he's made but uh Rask I'll let you get into uh kind of the coaching side of things here
0: yeah quick question that just kind of came up since you mentioned the video stuff I know as as a player you know players are always looking for video look that's the way you improve and as a coach I mean how much are you watching video and seeing you know what players are doing and how you can adapt that to your own coaching style how do you like look at video that way
2: yeah like uh, I think you know, for me, like, you gotta be relentless with trying to get better. And, and, uh, some, like a lot of the video is kind of style of player looking for a lot of skill stuff. Cards have seen me on the ice. My boots are bad. My hands are sick. So when it comes to demonstrating, I need the video to show Joe exactly what we're looking for. But, uh, um, so it's that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of cutting off the heels or just different shot stuff or really we're trying to take the game with our guys, like manipulating games. And so how can, you know, the elite players, how do they manipulate the game? And, not kind of give away pucks, but hold on to pucks maybe under traffic and pressure to find that that next player, create that next play for themselves. So, really just looking for that stuff. So when we get our guys back here, we can start right away with different concepts and ideas. But have a video dial. I think kids these days and like you guys are the same. Like if you can see it visually, it's a lot easier than just explaining it. So we're really on a hunt here as a staff to find those clips so we have the visual representation of what we're trying to show our players.
0: Okay. Interesting. And uh, something I always like to ask coaches and usually some interesting answers, but at what point did you know, or think that you wanted to be a hockey coach as a career?
2: Interesting. Cause I didn't start hockey till later. Like uh, I was always kind of baseball across type sport. And uh, I had a buddy move on my street who played on the triple A team. We actually, Dave Branch had a son who's my age. So he was kind of coaching that group through. And I used to go to a lot of the games and realize quickly, like, a. Baseball's is terrible when you compare it to hockey. So hockey was a way better sport. <laughs> be like everybody, all the girls, all the guys that weren't playing, everybody would come watch the whippy team play. So instantly I wanted to get into hockey. Now I knew I wasn't going to be a good player. I went from house league, played a year double A and then triple A. So my progression was quick, but I knew when I got on that Whippy team, like I didn't play a lot. Old old Branchy would sit me down a few shifts. So I knew that I probably wasn't going to be a player. I tried to play as long as I could. But I think when I got into junior, I was playing some junior B out in Orangeville. We were a brutal team. I was an average player and I knew right away if I wanted to stay in hockey, probably wasn't going to be playing. So uh, I started to think about coaching there then and and kind of organically morphed into a career. Okay.
0: So, I mean, it's funny because you know, in, in the OHL locker room, I'd say cards, if you were to call out a guy on the team and say, yeah, you're probably going to be a coach one day. Like it's, it's kind of like a chirp type of thing. Um Now, what, what was your first coaching job? Like how did that come about? And what was it?
2: So I was at university. So after I played my last year, junior in Orangeville, we had three wins. Like that's how good of a player I was. I was in a three win 48 games season. Team. <laughs> I think I had 13 points. There's so. no way. So uh, we had a great, we had a great time doing other stuff off the ice with the guys. So it was great. But I went to McMaster for a year and I was in business and it was the only year I really hadn't done anything athletically in my life. And I was sitting, it was my first semester. I can remember Claire's day. I'm in a calculus class and I went to an economics class. I'm I'm thinking about hockey and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'm not a student. I'm not, I'm not going to be a CEO. So like, I just had, I started kind of thinking I wanted to get into coaching. So I emailed like probably about a hundred teams that year, and I thought naively I was going to start in junior. And I saw an email in tier two and junior B teams. And one team wrote me back from Guelph. And at the time, they were dominators, the junior B team. So my role there was like I in the sky, kind of write reports for the Guelph Storm prospects that we had that were 16 to give to the OHL team, get on the ice for practice, like just learn. I had no idea what I was doing. I, I realized that quickly. But I think the coolest part about that is every time we won in Guelph because we're sponsor, sponsored by Domino's Pizza, we got free pizza after the game. So i think that started to put on weight <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that's one way to fall in love with coaching um now I, i'm just curious how would you describe your coaching and your leadership style like your motivational style for the team and then cardsy i want to hear how you would describe his style after
2: well i know cards gets confused like we we like to fuck with cards a little bit when he was here like he i know that i heard that power play story in a previous podcast we uh and I, I, I can't remember who it was, Cardsy, that day, but somebody told me he didn't really know what was going on with the power plane. He hadn't really looked at sh- the sheets. And I know we were playing Exhibition. It was against Flint, right? Yeah. And we were in that little barn that Flint plays out of. It's like a like a minor hockey rink but they play their exhibition games there and i i remember i can't remember who was on our bench but i remember i told somebody i'm like watch first power play comes up i'm gonna totally screw with cards here get all over it so he, <laughs> he right into it he didn't know what was going on but that post-up story is true i remember it because he was all confused jumping over the boards and he did the typical like, jump over he's looking around like that i'm like he has no idea what he's doing but yeah. uh, <laughs> i was in a complete blunder that day complete blunder yeah. well you already knew you made the team you thought you were a beauty because you're year before, I think, right? Were you 16 then or 17? No, that was 17 years. So I was, yeah. like, I was in the clear then. I was on the yeah. first, first power that night. So Just walking around, not giving a shit. You could tell guys like that, they know they're on the team. It's the last exhibition game. They're just trying not to get hurt, get ready for the opener. And card, Cards was in that mold, but it was fun. Uh, I, I don't know, like style, I think communication. Really, I, I don't know what Cards will say, but we try to give a lot of ownership to our players and what we do really it's about player development. Like, yeah, we want to win games. I'm no different than any other coach, but I think uh, for me, just really working with the guys, like the skill development, the communication, trying to create it a fun atmosphere. Like it's about having a good time here in Saginaw. Yeah. We want to win games, but I think more than anything, if you can make it fun for the guys and create that close family kind of connection, I think guys are going to succeed in this environment. And, and uh, we've had some times here for sure.
1: Yeah. And, I totally attest to that one, Rask. I mean, uh yeah, Laz would be all over me and uh that that was good and everything. Like we'd we'd have uh and Laz is such like he's he's a player's coach and he just seems like one of the boys. But then when he's there to harp on you, he comes down on you pretty hard sometimes. So but uh no, like they said, like like drinks said too, just kind of letting the boys have some fun, um, doing what they want and just expecting the best from them when they're on the ice. And that's kind of what you get there. You get treated like a pro. You act like a pro and you play like a pro. So, I mean, that's that, that's it from a last standpoint. I think, uh, that that's him to a T and a guy who, who does anything for his players. Um, and I wanted to, I make
0: cards cards. I'm so sorry. Wait, I, a question that just came to mind before you move on, Laz, I got one for you now. Um, As a coach, often I mean cards. You mentioned it. You got to come down on your players sometimes. You got to scream at them, let them know, keep them accountable. How much of uh of that type of thing for you is you kind of have to force yourself to look angry, like you're not actually mad, but you have to act mad. How much of that is is kind of just acting to make get your message across?
2: Honestly, almost all of it. You're almost like a little bit of an actor as a coach sometimes. Like, yeah, and you got to know your people. Like using cards for an example, like confident not cocky but got a little swagger like in a good way like he's a player you know and he knows he's a player and and uh you know for for cards I was always on him with not so much offensive stuff but other stuff and and it's like you love i love cards like you love the guy and then you gotta almost come down and pretend you're mad to kind of get his attention but it's really uh it's hard like at the end of the day you're dealing with teenage kids it's really hard to be like truly mad at them they're trying to play their best they got a lot of pressure the guy 50 different people in the year. They're trying to execute in, in full buildings. Like, they're not going out there purposely making mistakes or, or whatever. Like, for the most part, every guy works hard. But you're trying to keep their attention on certain things that they need as an individual to help their game. Like, Cards wasn't so much needing anything offensively. He's obviously disgusting at that. I was just trying to get his attention into And that happens. Like, Fetz is the same way here. Like, Fetz and Junior, like, works hard but doesn't, you know, like, because he's so good. Then he goes the American League or this – Hockey Canada stuff, and stuff, he's skating harder than I've ever seen him. But that guys just know like the threshold for that until they get to the next level. So, um, not that cards doesn't work hard, he's a grinder, but he uh just keeping his attention on stuff it's kind of just messing with them or keeping his, his brain on certain things that he needs to focus on in his game. And, and uh, every guy's different, but yeah, most of it's like honestly, most of it's made up. So, well,
1: I, I remember a few times on the bench, and I actually, I actually. I think I responded quite well to when you would yell at me every, it seemed like every time you'd come down on me or like, give my head a shake, give my, give me a slap on the head on the bench and I'd end up going out and scoring or something. And then I remember the one time we were at B dubs and you came over to my table and my parents were there and my dad's like, why don't you slap him across the face every game he needs. They're <laughs> Just a little wake
2: up call. Yeah. No. And I remember that like your dad played hockey, right? He gets it. And, and, um, I don't know, like at the end of the day, you love your players so much and all you want them to have is success. Like, you know what their goals are. You know what they want to do as individuals. Obviously, they want to win as a team, but you care so much about your guys that you have to sometimes poke and prod and push them and almost, again, get angry at them. So they, they're they trying to work towards things that they need to work on to have success at the next level. And that's what it really is. Like, there's certain things that each player needs. And, and again, because you love them so much, you just want them to have success. And it's you're not doing it because you're – you're trying to be a prick, you're doing it because at the end of the day, like coaches that are coaching you, they care about you. If I, if I just like, for example, if car just go down and say nothing to him, let her do whatever he wants. Things are going the other way and just kind of, well, I don't want to, get in his face like do i really care about him probably not so um but i I think yelling like i don't know if we really yell sometimes we do but most of the time it's just like firm talks right it's like a parent talking to his kid like you'd be firm when when so they know you're being serious about what you're talking about but there's times when guy like cards is cool shit you're over there like having a time with him too like celebrating the cool stuff he does so it's uh both ways
1: yeah and uh i mean we're gonna we're gonna get into a bunch of sag stuff i mean probably funny stories are gonna come up and stuff uh we got a bunch so uh, but before we do, I want to kind of jump back to Sarnia for you. So that was kind of your, your first big step in coaching, kind of getting your, you're getting your place in Sarnia and uh, how was your time there and kind of what'd you learn there as a first step?
2: It was eye opening for sure. Like I was trying to get, so I started coaching like probably 21, 22. And I, since the day I started coaching, I was trying to get into the OHL. It took me a decade to get in there. So really like at first it was just so cool to be in the OHL, grow up Oshawa area, watch the generals play, like you know, diehard OHL fan. So finally getting in the league was pretty cool. And I learned right away, like, I thought I was ready to step in and be this great coach. I thought coming out of junior, because we won a championship in junior B, I was like, I could be head coach in the OHL. Like, you get there, no chance. Like, there is so much to learn on ice, off ice players, European players, agents, like NHL teams. There's so many things you've got to learn as a coach in the OHL. But Sarnia was great, because I worked under Trevor Letelski and Andy Delmore and Lutz, who's now the head coach of Windsor, like, best guy ever. Like, literally the best guy ever and treated me amazingly and gave me a lot of opportunity and a lot of rope to figure it out. Like he wasn't all over me. He kind of let me grow and, and uh, took my input on stuff and, you know, get some, some board time and practice. And Deli was like maybe the funniest guy I've ever been around in hockey, like, you know, 20 goal guy in the NHL as a defenseman, a legit, legit player that still practiced. I think like he was a player when he went out in started. So, but we learned a lot we kind of, what it taught me was, we were a seventh place team when we were young And the next year, my second year, we won the division and we were stacked. So it showed me kind of like a quick how the OHL works and how players develop from one year to the next and how good your team can get if you develop players. So I really learned that. I think, to be honest, like I still had a year left in my contract in Sarnia when Saginaw called me to do a head coach interview. I didn't get the head coach interview here, obviously, but that success in Sarnia, that quick transformation from seventh to West Division champs, kind of allowed me to grow in my career and take this opportunity, which turned into a head coach job. So really fortunate. It was like a perfect organization for me to be in. Yeah.
1: And it's kind of cool. Like you mentioned, like the cycle and how quickly things can happen. A lot of people don't understand like for like, obviously there's the top teams that are good every year, but there's teams that'll cycle from like first to last and then rely on their draft picks and then kind of cycle up through. And it's all about who loads up and whatnot in the OHL where it's, it's kind of different in the NHL. They have teams for long periods of time, but you only have these players for four, maybe five years. So you got to make the most of that and then kind of use that to to cycle through. But obviously SAG's doing a good job of kind of staying afloat and keeping keeping on the higher side of things the last few years. And you got a lot of to a lot of credit for that. But then you just mentioned going to SAG. So how how'd that come up? Like you get that head coach interview. Um
2: don't get it, but how'd you decide to end up going there? Well, it's funny, like, I thought I had a really good interview, and I did. I got down to the point where Drinks and the owners, like, they they obviously uh, took Spencer Carberry, who's, like, a phenomenal coach, obviously, what he's doing in the American League, could be an NHL guy, like, he was the perfect guy for them to choose. And, And when Drinks first called me, not to use foul language, but he's like, well, you know what, you didn't get the head coach here. You know, job last but why don't you make the associate my first words to him were like fuck off like I'm not like what like I was mad obviously but within 30 seconds of that conversation I took the job so it was like a yo-yo <laughs> yo-yo response but uh you know what like I just knew Darian Hatcher just bought the team in in Sarnia he just finished his first year I knew there was no way I was gonna become the head coach there and when I learned quickly about the OHL I didn't have this massive playing background so nobody knows who I am so no other organization is going to hire me externally to be their head coach so i knew i had to go to an organization that i thought was a good spot with uh with ownership and with the gm that if i took a role there as an associate and I worked my ass off just did everything i could to make players better and the organization better eventually when that job opened they're going to have to look at me and say hey like this is our guy hired internally and it took longer than i thought cuz obviously carbs left and they gave the job to smitty and then eventually it came my way but it uh For me, I knew that was the only way I was going to be a head coach. And like SAG, I learned quickly when I got here. It was a great decision for me because it's an unbelievable place. Owners are amazing. Drinks it's great to work with, like staff, everything. So it was just really come into your job, work hard, make guys better, and just wait your turn.
1: Yeah, and I feel like, honestly, because Rask, I don't know if you know, when I came in, Laz was the associate coach at the time. So at that point, it was more like, Laz was just like, he was hanging out with the boys, but he was like tirelessly doing video and stuff like that. And that's kind of good, good habits. He has as a head coach now, just like picking up so many things. And that's why Saginaw plays these kind of skill games, just because Laz is putting in all those hours on like on the video side of things and just kind of figuring out our game and the identity you want to go forward with. And that kind of, I think benefited you kind of being the associate doing all that and then kind of coming into the, the head coach role. But like I said before, like just a player's coach and, a lo- I've actually had so many things come up, uh, Rask, and people always ask, like, why does cards call people muppies on the uh, on the podcast? And um, and it's all because of Laz. I'd never heard the word before Laz, and uh, I get to off like, my first day is like, what's up, you little pigeon muppy? And I'm like, what does that even mean? So, so that's
2: where I put that. <laughs> You meet guys quickly. So every kid comes into your program different. You can quickly tell, honestly, I think, anyway, within like the first few minutes, whether you have a guy like Cards, so you can just like chirp the shit out of him. And, he's, and he'll come right back at you, like he rips on me, and it's great. And then there's other guys you realize, like, oh, I got to develop my relationship before I speak this guy but like cards this old man's an absolute legend his mom's amazing his brother's even a bigger beauty than he is and then cards comes in so you meet the family like this guy you can fucking dick around with and he'll be fine so <laughs> it's good it breaks down barriers right away and and uh yeah we use the muppies here a lot sometimes you don't hear you say it but it's just like these little muppies you know, running around <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brask. I could.
1: I remember. I see like all the all the comments. Sometimes be like, "Why is Cards calling people muppies?" Well, that that came yeah. from and, and that's something I took to Barry, and I I started saying it like first day in Barry, and they're like, "What are you saying, man?"
0: Yeah, um, you, and you guys
1: And then everyone started saying it. So yeah. that, that's all credit to last for for anyone who is wondering that. um Well,
0: I, I was just wondering. I mean, you know, you go from associate coach, like Cards, you said, to the head coach, and um some people may not know but when you're kind of like an assistant associate coach you you can kind of be more one of the boys where you can be in their face chirping them like actually be one of the boys but then as a head coach I know Cardi said you're the players coach but there is more of a line that's drawn where you can't necessarily always just be that guy um that's just always tripping nonstop. is that something that you had to deal with that transition or or were you able to make it work where you can kind of stay the same way you were
2: Yeah, I've always like I've always disagreed with the belief that a head coach like can't have any fun with his players, can't have you know. There's got to be this like distant relationship, so they're afraid. to I don't believe I don't believe in that. I think what we try to do here is we try to make sure guys can be themselves, have a ton of fun, but they have to know like when it's you know like whether it's a game time or, or meeting or there's some sort of like serious message in practice. Like they have to know that it's time to. Can dial in so we like we're okay with for me especially as a head coach like i'm okay with that different relationship because i think guys quickly know like you can tell right away probably by my face i don't know how cardinals but i walk into a certain meeting like i'm either dialed or you can tell it's like more relaxed and we tell our guys all the time like you you just have to recognize when it's time to like dial your shit in or when it's time just to be yourself and we're just having fun and and do whatever because the season's so long i think uh i think the way of coaches now like just being hard asses and trying to make kids afraid of you like i I wouldn't respond to that i don't know how other kids will i think creating like meaningful relationships and really caring about your people and they know that so then when you actually do come down on them they know that you love them so it's not like you're just being a prick you're doing it because whatever the message is is important either for the group or the individual i think that kid reacts better but you also have to make sure that you Follow up conversations. Like if I come down on card cards, I can't just not talk to him for a week. Got to bring him in. He does a great job coming in himself, but you've got to follow up conversations. You got to let him know where that you know where the message is coming from. But you have to care about your people, man. I don't care if it's the NHL or down. I think guys that are good at that are gonna have success.
1: Yeah, and like you said, just kind of like when you come into the meetings, I remember there's a few times where the boys would know we're in, sh-
2: and
1: we'd just be sitting in the we'd sit in the video room and and typically. Laz would always be in there early when it was like a funny games interview if we're just going over video or something, but it, he would always come in like after the fact and we'd always be in there. I feel like, and then he'd come in there and he'd have the serious face on. And I'd be like, Oh, sh- we're in one today. <laughs> they're on the ice. We're about to just get ripped right now. So that's kind of how I knew uh, when he meant business or not, but yeah, that's that was funny. funny
2: yeah i would think though cards like those meetings like i never went into those meetings yelling and screaming it's just like guys knew it was like okay we've got to absorb whatever the message is here because it me it's meaningful it's not like you know even uh it's just whatever it could be it could be anything like a tracking thing or even an ozone thing where we're just doing dumb shit it's like yeah we want to be an ozone team but we got to absorb information so um i think yeah sometimes cards picked up on it coming in later and the reason why i would come in later and those so guys can see right away like your body language or like just just to look a bit like, oh this is a serious one where sometimes we're waiting for a meeting to start like cards said, i'm in there earlier but we're like throwing up video of you know again to talk about car might be something totally ridiculous you did we're just kind of having a laugh about it and guys start beacon and creating that again like having fun and then the message that day isn't serious like it's just kind of like hey here's the point of today let's let's go off some fun yeah
1: i know we Actually, that kind of reminds me all the all the clips that uh we'd show of like Gator Jacob Goldowski just doing ridiculous stuff and, and this is actually a funny thing too Ras. so I was in my sixteen year and then Laz was the head coach once I came up like full time, and uh I was on heater a bit, and I scored a goal, and it was like the game was like five, nothing or something, and I touched ice and uh so the next day in video laz is like showing our game clips and then he just kept replaying me touching the ice after i scored in a five nothing game he's like look at this muppy just just touching
2: the ice all cocky it's five nothing relax kid (laughs) i I do remember that there's uh i remember that but it's to keep the message light it's like i don't know it kind of builds that it builds your team character inside because you have kind of like things like that to Chirp around or if a guy does it like a week later, he gets the fourth, fifth goal. Like guys are all over him on the bench. Like what are you doing? Like, what are you so excited about? We're up four, one, like game's over, you know? So it's, uh, you got to keep it fun and guys got to know, like, I think, I don't know how you guys feel as player cards, but when coaches like willing to kind of break down those walls and make it fun, like it almost takes the intimidation factor away, which is what my goal is. I don't want guys to be afraid of me. I just want guys to respect the message. So I try to look for ways to kick down that wall. So guys, Again, guys know you care about you and they know what you're about and they know when, when you're being hard on them it's for a reason, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, I like that answer how, uh, you know, it's pretty uncommon what you said where, you know, you don't have to be distant from the players, but cards actually, you being the player who Laz has coached, answer honestly, like how do you handle that? How do you think the players handle, you know, whether it's the hard-ass coach or, or the Laz approach where you can get both sides of it, like the friend and, you know, he knows when to be on you. How do you respond as a player?
1: I think all the players in seg would agree with me there. You want like Laz, probably best coach I've ever had. I mean, like just in that sense, like just the way he treats the boys, like just respectful, but he's also hard on you. And then he's teaching you the game at the same time. And I was fortunate enough to get another coach who was similar to Laz in Millsy when I came to Barry and, and just to work with him kind of the same philosophy he has there. So I've been fortunate enough to have two players coaches. And I'd take that any day over, over a guy who's just going to kind of harp on you and, uh, kind of put you down and have a distant relationship you'd rather have an open com- line of communication therefore you can kind of just talk about things and realize where you're at he's, he's not gonna tell you are brutal he's not gonna tell you you're great when when you're when you're not right he's just gonna be honest and it's a black and white relationship which is which is key for learning i think
0: yeah no i i, I agree with you there now uh laz back to you um you know we mentioned you got that head coaching job finally in Saginaw I want to know what that day was like for you when you hear you know you're it's your turn you're going to be the head coach kind of dream come true I imagine for you so how how was your reaction and how'd that day go for you
2: well it was weird because like we played Windsor on the Sunday and we lost and like usually you know when drinks is coming to town he'll let you know he's coming to town whatever he's kind of standing down where our offices are and he's not really saying anything to anyone so like right away I didn't think something was up. So I went home that night. I actually told my wife, I I thought we were getting gassed. Like I was like, Jack, I I think we might like be getting fired here. Our team just wasn't doing well. I was, I've been there forever. So I'm like, if, you know, if they're going to make a change, I'm probably going to be out as well. Like it's my third year there. So we, uh, the next morning we're just kind of, it was Monday was a day off. We're just kind of hanging around the house. Phone rings, Dave Drinkle, i pick it up. Hey, he's like, Hey, you want to come down to GMG? And I'm like, Oh fuck, like, here we go. And not really not much more. And, and, uh, came down to GMG and I walk in and right away, Dick Goose, and drinks are in there. So after drinks call, I told my wife, I'm like, well, I think we're getting gas. Now we still had the rest of that year on contract. So like family wise, it was like, you know, we had just had our daughter. We're like, well, at least we have X amount of months to kind of like figure our shit out. So I go driving down there, not really sure what's going to happen. Walking into the boardroom, like serious face, you can tell there's tension in the room. I'm like, oh man, here comes the axe. Like <laughs> it's not a good feeling walking in. And I sit down, and the first thing they said, they said, well, we've let Smitty go. And I'm so I'm like, okay. Into my head, I'm like, and we're going to let you go. I'm waiting for the axe to fall. And they said, we're going to make you head coach. And I didn't have any emotions at all. First of all, I was shocked that Smitty going too. I was kind of just sitting there, like shaking my boots drinks finally goes you know you can smile so I smiled I smiled right (laughs) now I was like can I call my wife so the first thing I did I left the room I went called Jack's Jackie my wife and just told her what was going on so and then after that it was like honestly it's emotional like but it was a weird time because we had a practice that day I believe or we had a we had a meeting called that day then we were leaving for our North Bay trip on Wednesday so I'll tie an Ivan story into this for you as well but so Dick comes down, he addresses the team like, oh, that's great. It's emotional. Like a million things are spinning. But my mind right away is like, we got three games and four nights. and We have one practice. There's a ton of shit I want to do. Where do you even start? So we, uh, we practice Tuesday. It's all good. We have a morning skate kind of Wednesday before we leave. And whatever happened, I was off the ice. The assistants are out there. But something happened where Ivan got pissed. So he comes flying into the room and he locks himself into the trainer's room. So, like, he's – and he's, like, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going home. I'm going home. He's all mad. And I don't know what happened, but something happened where I'm sitting here, like, holy shit. Like, we got the best goalie in the league. He's going home. There's a fire in my first day of work. And, like, we are, we're about to leave to go on three games and four nights, and I'm already stressing about the road trip. So, we get all the guys in the dressing room. I sit down with them, like, at their same level. And we just talk – really what we talked about – I don't know if you were there, Cards, but we talked about, like, okay, this kind of shit is done with. We've got to become tighter as a team. We really believe that we have a team here that's going to win the West division, but you can't do that. If you're separate, like you need to come together. It's just the, the garbage, like antics that are not bullying, but like, just not team, like like uncle, like we're done with it. We're moving in a different direction. And we went into North Bay. We win. We were down three, one, and we scored too late and won in overtime. Bodie Wild made an unbelievable end to end rush and scored. And uh, I remember Ivan come Everybody's going to the pile. Ivan comes flying into the bench and like dives in like like he's trying to get hop over the boards, like right into into me. And I'm like knocked off balance, like what's going on? And it's just, I think that moment. So I think that scenario in practice where it was kind of a fire sale to an overtime win kind of galvanized our group. And we just wanted an absolute tear from there. But uh, yeah, I was scared shitless to be honest. When they named me head coach, I was like, waited forever to do it thought I was ready and then realized again you're sitting there it's like oh, I don't know if I'm ready like but it's time you know so and I think the cool thing the story I always tell this to other coaches like developing relationships because I was an associate to cards this point before I had great relationships with the whole group of G and Buzzy and Jenks and I remember those guys walking up after Dick first talked to our team they came up and they're like Glass, we got you like we are not going to fail you we're not going to fail as a group like I think that was a real big moment for a players coach like we were in this together and we had to find a way and, and we did and it was our best season we've ever had
0: that's awesome that's incredible to hear what a story too um now I mean you, you just mentioned how the players kind of support you I'm wondering coaches always say you know you, you teach the players but a lot of the times players you know you can learn from them are there any players that have had a big impact on you that you've coached
2: Maybe cliche answer, but every one of them, I, I cards will know this. I always tell our group that we're a player's coach team, not a coach coach team. So my ideal situation is I'm out of the way. The guys know exactly what we want to do as a team. Like we've we've kind of led them as coaches, they've came up with input themselves. And as coaches, we can kind of stand back and the leadership in the group themselves understand what we're trying to do and they can do it. And the messages come from them. That's the ideal scenario. But you learn from every player, man. Like I'm a big believer in self-reflection. Like I tell our players all the time, like analyze your game, think back. And I think even for us, like after a weekend, we always have a day off. My day off is like, it's a mental grind because you're reflecting on every conversation you had practices through the week. Like it's things that happen in a game. Did you react, right? your message to the group? Did you get on a player in the message just, you knew it was like, you just, you can't act like that. You've got to find a different way with that guy. So to me, you're always learning. Like it's lifelong learning. It's, constant evaluation like I, I want to be the best at what I do I want our players to be the best and I think self-evaluation where you're critically looking at yourself and you got to be honest like there's things I do where I'm like that was a major mistake like I that was a mistake by me I, I can go into game seven and, and that whole conference final and there's so many mistakes I made that I think costs the series to be honest and but it drives you as a coach because you're learning and then you want to get back and like rectify those those issues but I think self-reflection constantly learning and then exactly like let guy show you stuff. Like I, I know there's times with cards where I'd push him and, and I'd feel like he's not listening. And, and then all of a sudden he goes out and he executes what you're saying in his own way. Like just because he's not staring at you in the eyes and like giving you the head nod like a Giroux would do, doesn't mean he's not absorbing information. So you're learning, learning different guys, how they take things in. So constant. Yeah. Constant.
1: yeah. And I mean, Rask, I don't know if you got anything more on the coaching side of things, but I know we got a bunch of fan questions for last here. They want to hear what a coach kind of has to say, but uh, we'll just start firing these away. Which player pissed you off the most? In my career? Uh,
2: Yeah, sure. Well, I I would say... Like I would say, Ivan with the with the meltdown in game two, because it was just such a it was bad luck on his part because he actually has bad at the puck out like that while wearing a spirit jersey for clears when we're killing a penalty teams would dump it on that he grab a baseball swing out and a lot of Russian goalies actually did it we sent that video to to the league to try to overturn the call but I was frustrated in the moment with them but. Real sad for him that he never got another opportunity to take the next. I think if we could have won that game seven, he would have been lights out. So that's maybe the most mad I've ever been with a player just because he made a kind of a shitty decision in a tough spot. But I love the guy Like we never would have had a season we had. I probably wouldn't be sitting in this chair for him for a guy like I was. So, yeah, for sure. And any coach in the league you don't get along with? Well, it used to be uh, Greg Greg Walters and Oshawa didn't like me because I made, you know, I made some, some uh, low comments towards him about being a tier two coach after they whooped us in our barn and uh, him and I have since rectified that, but I was just trying to get under his skin, but I don't think so. Like try to create relationships with every coach. Like um, he's the only guy I've ever had words with on a bench, but he was pretty heated and I wouldn't want to come across Greg Walters. He's a beast. So I'm glad that we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're friends again. So.
1: Yeah, no, that was actually hilarious. And that was the game. Baber just started going wild too. I remember the Baber just started losing. This was at the Dow. You no. Know? And the, it was, it yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Baber, Baber takes the puck after the whistle, goes down, like, shoots it on net, and then just starts trying to go every single person on Oshawa. So he didn't help your case there.
2: I didn't even see what happened, though. Like, I wasn't even looking all of a sudden, because the game was over, right? Like, it was in a yeah. buzzer. It was two seconds of face-off was outside the zone. So I'm not even watching all of a sudden. I hear 10 whistles. I look up, and there's a huge scrum. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? And Baber's in there. And I saw Greg Walters looking at me, and he kind of gave me one of those. So, like, to come. So I came down to say, like, I was going to say, what what happened? and he's like yeah that like right great on I me mean, I'm like oh like so I start going back at him because, like well, I guess we're in one and and after the game I knew they were going to watch the tape and our our post game like interviews is on the tape so I kind of made some comments that way to, knowing he would see it and piss him off and it did but it's uh, looking back I should have just you know diffused the situation but you know Wally's a passionate guy he's a great coach and a great job in Oshawa like I'm not saying anything negative towards him but I, that's the only time I think I've ever had one of those situations you know? that's yeah. so funny um how do you spend your time on the bus well a lot of video like watch a lot of video and then uh i don't know like sometimes watch the movies it's hard not to watch the movies you guys put those fucking gun movies on the volumes on 30 like your ears are bleeding like and it's always the worst like you're driving home from a game it's one in the morning and there's like bombs going off the bus (laughs) and you guys are all up there like so I, i don't know like i do i try to get a lot of tape done or Sometimes, honestly, just shut my eyes because I, I don't sleep a lot during the year. So I, I take a little bit of time on the bus just to kind of have a nap. But I don't know. Video passes the time. There's some long nights there. Yeah. Um, favorite memory from SAG? Uh, I would say winning that game two in that conference final. Like such a swing where you know we're up. I think we're up. Was it two one? We're up. Whatever the score was, we were up and we were cruising prior to the Justin Murray hit. And I'm like, fuck, we're gonna close this out, no problem. Go up two nothing, like life's good. Murray throws a big hit, gets ejected, five minute penalty. They score twice on it. Ivan does his thing. It feels like, oh shit, we got two guys that we're gonna probably lose for most of the series. If we lose this game, like how the fuck are we gonna get anything going? And then we find a way to win that game, get up two nothing, and it's like, oh, we're gonna win the series in five. Like, so it's such a swing, but it was a cool moment because the Dow you're like it was in, man like I've never seen anything like that and I still sometimes watch the clip back from when we tied it and when we won in overtime And it gives you chills because it was like a, such a cool atmosphere
1: yeah no and I, I remember because you put me in the press box that night for, for the listeners so I, I got <laughs> to see the atmosphere perfect view there but uh no uh we got one who's your favorite
2: number 12 defenseman well, it's not it's not Mason Milman because that guy likes to start the year at Cobb twelve every year, and then try to turn it on. Like he walks in coming out of his NHL camp, just thinking he's the man, like strutting. It's like here we go, Milman's here, he's the man. He came back from NHL camp, starts the season like Dash twelve, and then he goes on an absolute tear, and then he's the man again. So he goes from the man to like sad dog and dragging his feet around, like look at old Mason's all set to the man again by the end of the year, and it's like downfall. Like, but uh, <laughs> Millie, Millie's my boy. I told Millie at 16 that he was going to play in the OHL. And he was going to probably be an NHL player. And he's he's made me look good, so I love him.
1: Yeah, he's backing you up there. I mean, he he told the story a little bit differently when he was on, but I'm glad you clarified what I had to say. Um, and then well, this is our this is our last one here.
2: Um, have you ever benched cards? Yet? I think I did a few times. My biggest issue, and you know, what was my issue with you all the time? What was I on you for the most? You tell me. You don't even remember, but you tell me.
1: Well, on it, like obviously my D side, but like if I wasn't like tracking, or if I if I wasn't tracking, you would hate it, and I'd uh, you'd always harp on me for that.
2: Yeah, my biggest thing with for cards, he was so when I, I got to the point where a few times it was like, "All right, man, like just have a little seat here." So, but when you're on, you're on. I think, but a 17 year old kid, like they're all the same, and they're hard to get to understand the value of tracking and the reason why I wanted that for cards because I know NHL scouts look at you and for sure offensive side and you're going to be a draft pick like you're probably going to get drafted this draft a year out and you're going to kind of like kevin like the LeBanc kid that played in in, uh, in Payne like those two guys i used to use that example with you all the time like yeah 100 point guys in the league which i think you'll morph into if we get playing again here this year like you'll be that type of a player but those guys figured it out even in the ohl now in the nhl like the value of being a dog and hunting pucks and being relentless and stripping from behind and like getting puck recoveries in the ozone. I think my biggest thing, my vision for you is to get that into you early. So that's the type of player where guys are like, oh, he's going to be like that and, and be an effective player in the NHL. So a few times I had to sit you down, but not not really. Like you were a big part of our team. I know we were a deep team. Sometimes you're on our first line. Sometimes you're down the lineup, but always a threat on the ice. And I was shocked you didn't get drafted, Cardsy, and I was disappointed for you, but I have zero doubts that you will – an NHL player at some point in your career as long as you keep doing your thing
1: I appreciate all those words from Laz there and it means a lot especially from a coach like him and I know he said yeah I didn't really get benched and and that was another thing like Laz a player's coach he'll he'll talk you up he's not going to sit you down or or abuse you too bad um in that sense but I I can remember the one game um in my 16 year old year and it was hilarious because I was I was like I got I scored in my first game and I'm like I'm thinking I'm the man out there. I'm like, all right, like this is sick. Like, no, like I'm the best ever. And, um, <laughs> and then the the next like six games to follow Rask, I was legit dash two every night. So we're we're in a game in Windsor, and it's the it's the last game before the uh, Christmas break. And uh, I'm we we're short on guys, and we only have ten forwards. So like I'm the tenth forward. So they're rolling three lines, and it comes second period, and I'm like, Lasgos K cards, you're in for a shift. So I'm like, Oh God, here we go. So, (laughs) and sure enough, teddy bear toss night here in Windsor too. And um, sure enough, I get out there. Don't do too much. Don't even touch the puck. Cooley gets it in the slot berries. I'm like, Oh my God. So I go on for one shift that game and uh, I get scored on and that was probably dash eight in my last four or five games. So I'm like, yeah, nope. Sit me down. I just went to the end of the bench. I'm like, Hey, I'm done. Like, uh, yeah. that's enough for me. <laughs> no, that was like, that was like the only time I've really actually been benched by Laz. Uh, but for good reasoning, I was, I was being a tool in the defensive zone as a young 16 year old there, and I, I thought i was the man after i scored game one so and then I,
0: it's raining teddy bears on you in case you forgot how many minuses you had
1: yeah no exactly that just that just made the situation even way worse and i just actually i got a live um a live fan question from danny katik uh, asking, asking uh asking laz to petition the league to allow always for another run
2: Danny's been all you know what I do think the league though like in all seriousness like COVID like terrible situation OA guys lose a year and it's not fair like in my opinion just to say like well bad break move on I think they've got to find a way to at least allow even two of them back type thing per team and whether a team wants to put those two you want to call them super ways on the team or not like I really believe the league should do it because there is kids like Danny and other OAs in the league that like they deserve an opportunity to come back and play in our league and Danny's given everything to our organization he's developed drastically in it and I really believe if if COVID aside we would have had a normal year and Danny played on the group that we would have had this past season as an OA I would I would have a hard time not seeing him score 20 and get at least American League deal so I know he thinks he's the man and he's the best but he uh he really is the best like he's He's exactly what we're about here in Saginaw. That's sad, man. Like it's a real sad situation for guys like him because I know when Danny got the news that, you know, that he was not, uh, that the season was going to be canceled, like he was crushed and it's, I think sometimes the league's got to remember we have to look at these kids in the face and tell them that, and there's gotta be a way. And I don't know what the way is. And I know there's a lot more stuff going on at the league level than, and they're trying everything they can to make it right. Believe me, they are. But I just, I hope that that is a true consideration because guys like him deserve an opportunity to play in this league and see if they can find something for themselves at the next level.
1: Yeah. And Danny, obviously a great kid and a glue guy in the room. And i still close with him to this day and obviously you're real close with him you just got to spend a few months with him so I'm sure that was a hoot and a holler but uh also with with Danny there like I was just about oh yeah yeah yeah. and with Danny there yeah he commented
2: there that's cards is d-zone i yeah, no, that's me in the
1: d-zone just a quick mental lapse and it's in the back of our net <laughs> i'm sitting on <laughs> bench in windsor rask um but no danny danny commented in the uh in the comments section for for the thing actually we're the best so he just wanted to make it known that he's still the best and uh seg's the best because that was actually that was funny remember remember when we had to get new shirts in the playoffs last because of our saying
2: yeah we had uh What is it? We, the WTFB and we're playing Sarnia and somebody like Googles that. And I think it says like, I don't know what it is, but it's supposed to be like something, something or something. Like, I, I don't know, but it was like, no, because we would, I would always go into the room and then Webby started doing it. The last thing message we always wanted the guys to hear was that we're the fucking best. Like when I took the team over We were 500, and I told the group we were going to win the division. We were a bunch of points back, but, like, I always wanted them to know that we were the fucking best. Like, we were. And Webby took it over right before the start of every period. He'd always stand up on the bench and yell that and kind of, like, that's like, all right, puck's going to drop. Here we go. So we put that on our shirt, and I think – you know, I didn't realize those four letters meant something else, or I probably would have said we have to find a different way to to get our message on there. so anyway, we changed our playoff shirts, but it was it was honestly just to reminder guys that we're the best, man. Like I think a mindset and confidence in, in hockey life, anything you do. And I wanted our group to and I really believed that like in obviously we were we're five wins away from a title, one win away from the final. Like we really believed we were the best. And that was the swagger we had. We didn't care where we we're going, we're the best. We're gonna beat you. Don't like it too bad. You know, that was our mindset.
1: Yeah, and obviously, I think I think we would have won the memory realistically if, if we didn't have a few bad bounces. And I would have been wearing a ring around with my uh, five playoff games. But hey, uh,
2: <laughs> you gotta talk about you scored and won, didn't you? In the first in game one, I know it's your biggest goal of your
0: life. And yeah, as you say, we always hear it's the biggest goal in Saginaw Spirit history. <laughs> it
2: did get us going though, because I remember we we're down to nothing, and this always happens. Like I learned this in junior B, we had a really good team, in our first playoff series, like guys are like. Top teams think it's like, well, you know, because we were playing Guelph in our junior B year, and like guys it's like, well, this is going to be easy. We beat them eight times this year, so this is going to be an easy round. And once the playoffs start, like, obviously you guys know hockey, like everything goes through the roof. So I knew after that first, it wasn't even so much yelling at the guys. like I just knew we were down to nothing. We were going to be fine. Somebody like Cards had to get us going. But just the way that uh, Sarnia jumped on us, they played hard. They were all over us, and our guys were kind of like, I think that was their whole shit, like, this is going to be a lot harder than we think. And that was, that was one of our toughest series. But Cards did get us going. He got a big goal. He almost jumped through the glass. The whole place is going. And then Jenkins scored like a minute later. And it's like, ah, here we go. We're good. And, tip,
1: and then tip. We we had like we had like three goals in two minutes. But I give myself the credit, and Rask knows biggest goal in Spirit history. But you you said Laz uh, that it was my fa- biggest goal in my career. But I begged to differ. And I talked to drinks about this goal. I'd say I'd say <laughs> I'd say scoring on you guys and then coming to the bench and selling in front of you is probably a little better than that.
2: Yeah, like well, you know what? If anyone was going to beat us that night in Barry, and you guys came back like we you guys, I actually was really impressed with you were like, since when Todd took over and just after all the trades, like your team became a weapon and you guys just stayed in the game, you grind back and you just know, like, if you're going to lose this game, I thought it on the bench even before he scored. I'm like, if we're going to lose it, it's probably going to be Cardwell or Porks. And I hope it's one of them just because they were our guys. And sure enough, this little bit comes down and buries and gives me the celly. And I'm like, yeah. And then I, I go up in the lobby. and he's the first guy I see his smile and ass coming to his parents. Like he's all, but I was, I was happy for your cards because, I know, I don't know if drinks talked about this on his, but the, that's the hardest trade I've ever been involved in as a coach. And that's the hardest one on drinks. Like I've, I've never seen guy like a GM shed a tear over trading a player, but drinks was like heartbroken to lose you. And he tried a billion ways to do that deal. But Marty's not an idiot. Like he knows exactly the key to that trade was getting you because how good a player are. And that's the only way we could have done it. And we looked at, we were worse franchise. And it's like, we had a tough try, and we went back a million times. This is why it happened on the last day. It was like, do we get Zoots? who's a first rounder, a bit older than you, a little bit more proven. Like, can he put us over the top? Or do we bet on like keep developing Cardwell? Can he get us there? And at the end of the day, Drinks made that trade. But when you left that rink that day, like he was in tears, man. Like, and it it was like the, it's the shittiest trade we ever had to make because we loved you like the most, you know. And so for you to come and score against us, it was like bittersweet because I'm glad you got that redemption. But I, the thing that stuck with me, Cards, about you this is why I love you is when I saw you after the game, and I don't even remember if you said this, you're up with your parents and you guys talked about, well, I hope you guys go on and win a title. Like if I can't be a part of that team, I hope you guys win. I hope Zuki, that trade you guys made, like put you guys over the top to win. And then we'll get our championship a year or two later in Barry. And and uh, that's why I love you, man, because I know you you truly meant that comment, but it it was, it sucks, man, that you're still not a spirit, but um, yeah, you buried against us and, Got me all fired up going into it. We were that was our first game of three and four, we lost to uh, to you guys. But your team is humming, man.
1: Yeah, no, we actually, yeah, and like you said, it worked. It worked out tough day, and I, I we talked about it with drinks too. And it's it definitely worked out for both sides in the time being. Obviously, COVID kind of screwed up your guys side of the trade, I guess, but no, I was honestly, I was rooting for you guys. If anybody was going to win, cause we weren't ready to win. And I think next year we're going to be ready and kind of seeing, being able to be a part of those Saginaw teams and how good they were. And uh, is going to be huge for me too, going forward with, with a Barry team as an older guy now, and just kind of having that experience. But yeah, no, like I give all the credit in the world to you and drinks and the rest of the boys there for kind of everything there. And that's why I wanted you guys to win so bad. So it's it was, it was special in that way. And then, yeah, no, it was definitely nice giving, giving you guys the gears a little bit for sure. That, that didn't hurt.
2: Um, well, if Marty, if, if Barry and Marty know what's going on, like they want to win, they better put a C on that jersey. I know you're lobbying for the captain, captain, but I'd give it to you. Barry, 100%. Hey, let's N- go. <laughs> hey, Yeah, well, I might as well
1: have the chat if I'm, if I'm wheeling
0: around. <laughs> come on, Barry. Come on.
1: <laughs> hey, Laz, Laz, imagine this though. When I'm 16, if you would have told me uh, that, that you'd be saying I deserve a
2: captaincy now. Would you ever, would you ever think you'd see the day? You know what though? Truthfully, we talked about it based on who you were as a person. Like we didn't know what your career was going to be, but we're like definitely the makeup of you. I'm like captain material because of like, you have a way of all the guys like you. That's key. You have a way of like bringing older and younger guys together. You have a little bit of swagger, like confidence to what you're doing. You're not cocky, but you have a confidence in what you, what your abilities are. And like, you do know how to get up in front of a group, whether it's with the owners or out in public and like, Be a pro and like handle your stuff. You're still a clown behind the scenes, but when you have to be like when you have to be like a representation of the organization, you do a great job. Drinks and I always thought we didn't know where you were gonna be, but we always thought you'd be one of those guys in the conversation for sure. That's the truth of of wearing a letter or being a captain for us. And then uh yeah, I I that's the honest truth because like when the games are on, you're a gamer too. Like you watch what you've done in golf and you know, I know you won that title. I can't remember what it was, some national title. You're down by a couple strokes. And you hit that 12-foot putt. You think you're the man walking around. Like, that that kind of, like, big game, you know, like, big dick energy, whatever you guys want to call it, like, you have it. And that's the truth. Like, you, at the end of the day, when you're in – if I've learned anything about the conference final, when you get into those real crowds going – because you guys are teenagers. You're in a 5,000-seat arena. It's buzzing. You can barely think. And you guys get all round up easily. So sort do of coaches, but, like – teenage kids for sure. It's like a big moment. You need a guy that has kind of like your makeup to settle the guys down where guys will listen to what you say, but you can handle the moment. It's not too big for you, you know? So I've learned that about looking for captains and you guys that can, in those moments get you through and then do everything right day to day.
1: Yeah. And I mean, learning from a guy like G doesn't hurt too. I know we, we had G on and he's a sick captain and just a guy who goes to work every day and works his ass off. And, but I mean, I feel like we could go on forever, Rask, but we gotta we gotta call our quits at some point. So no better time than now. But we just want to say <laughs> thanks so much, Laz, for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, all the advice, all the kind words today, and everything. And you'll be you'll be looking good here soon uh, behind the bench with your axle watch. And hey, we'll see what we can do. We'll talk to Manscape. Maybe we'll get that your uh, your beard cleaned up a little bit for you
2: me? Yeah, I got like a ten dollar one. Now pulls my hairs out. It's all blotchy. Like I look like crumb. But no, okay. I appreciate man, you guys podcast legit. I love uh, I love the guys you get on it and the stories and just the connection you make with the players. Like you learn a lot. I learn a lot about other organizations and the different kids in the league by listening to you guys do your thing. So I, I'm disappointed you got Marty on before me, but I get my watch either way, and <laughs> I cannot wait to wear that during the game next year and flash it. To you, so
0: thanks, Laz. Appreciate it. Yep. See you. And thanks to Chris Lasry and the Saginaw Spirit for quite an awesome episode. Man, Cards, you absolutely got your tires pumped, th- <laughs> these two interviews. Like, honestly, good for you, dude. I, I was pretty fired up hearing them speak about you. I actually, no one knows other than you about how emotional that trade was. So it's pretty cool hearing both their perspectives on it. And uh, yeah, what do you think of those interviews?
1: Yeah, bro, I didn't realize I was doing such a, such a good job in sag there. I, I thought, I thought they might've hated me. Um, no, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, dude, it was, a, it was an emotional day and we've never really talked about it on the pod. So it was pretty cool to kind of share that story and understand. Well, I had already knew, but for the listeners to understand like actually what goes on behind the scenes and the bond that I had between Laz and drinks and myself and the rest of the team there. So it was pretty special. Um, a lot of kind words from them. I, I mean, I would never say a bad word about them. Only good things to say about Saginaw, as we've said a million times over. <laughs> and uh, But no, I really appreciate them coming on. And yeah, it was a lot of good insight too. I mean, from a GM standpoint, we had Marty on talking before about kind of coach GM. Um, now I have drinks, kind of a soul GM who worked his way up the ranks, um, kind of like what you're doing right now same sort of thing and then for Laz kind of coming up the ranks as well just biding your time and then uh, making the most of an opportunity when it presents itself you know
0: yeah no it was very cool and it's cool for me someone who didn't play in the OHL obviously to see two guys that also didn't play high level like OHL or pro hockey make it in that world because you know a lot of the time you got to be the former player and it motivates me a little bit knowing I can there's there's some hope for a guy who might not be the best hockey player out there
1: <laughs> yeah and, and now we got rask blowing drinks phone up hey can you hire me
0: okay he's <laughs> me we and drinks are going golfing though so i'll that no it's <laughs>
1: it's always great to make good connections and hey no i got good connections down the road maybe i'll hop on your guys team down the road uh once once my career is done so I, we'll don't, I don't know
0: if we want you man all right fair enough <laughs> um i mean okay we got to talk about phil mickelson do you want to just take it away cards yeah, feel the thrill.
1: Um, I honestly thought going into Sunday, I didn't think he was gonna do it, um, but everyone kind of folded and gave him the tournament, and I was super happy—the oldest major winner in the history of uh, of time. So that's you know,
0: pretty cool. 50's not that old in golf. I was surprised to see that, Bro,
1: But still, like,
0: no. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. No, I'm. Ex- it's extremely impressive. But I to figure that no one older than fifties ever won is surprising a major, I was a major a major okay fair enough yeah
1: well there's only four a year right so
0: yeah but i mean people golf till they're you know 70 and then they go to like the other tour whatever that one's called no
1: so what 50 you go on to that tour so okay. phil he'll actually won i think two tournaments on the seniors this year so okay. he, he's well they're older right like i mean they shouldn't be able to keep up and for him to do what he did this week was absolutely spectacular and now who knows I wouldn't count him out Uh, going into the U S open. He got that sponsor's exemption, but he doesn't need it anymore being the champion at the PGA there. Um, So yeah, him headed back to Torrey uh, good vibes there. So I wouldn't count Phil out, but uh, I would also love to see what Brooks Koepka is going to do. And uh, I think he's going to have a lot of fire in him, especially with that last day kind of blemish what he did. I really thought he was going to step up, but what were your thoughts on the tourney?
0: I only watched like three hours on the Sunday just to see what, Phil was doing I didn't I honestly I was so dialed into the playoff hockey it was hard for me to switch over to golf but I'm just excited for Phil Mickelson I mean I I like Phil because I watched all he makes a lot of YouTube videos teaching and uh, I watched all his videos to learn my own golf game so I actually love Phil Mickelson for that so I mean I'm just I was just excited to see him win. Yeah, you're gonna have the Phil Miple- Phil
1: Mickelson flop shot going soon. I'm gonna come out and play with you. You're gonna shoot hundred, but you're gonna be flopping them like crazy out there. I'll be like, oh my god, where'd this come from?
0: <laughs> the short game is gonna be incredible. But uh man, I haven't I haven't shot a driver in two months now. So I don't I don't really go to the driving range either. So I might be bad like first hole. But,
1: well, let's hit the range first.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll have to get the range buzzing for sure. We're playing out at- yeah. where are we going? I texted you. Hmm. You stomped me there spring lakes we're playing at spring lakes oh you told when did you
1: tell me this i never saw this i texted this to you You, it must have been in a long chain of texts it was
0: like right before the most recent text you responded to what (laughs) i said we're getting hooked up from our sponsor at spring lakes golf club in in there they're gonna give us some free golf
1: oh i i just responded to the text when you said maybe McLeod for five, I clicked on that when it was on my like notifications and said, "Yeah, you, so you didn't know." See that? So I I just see them in this now.
0: Yeah, we got some free golf coming, bro. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> That's huge. I know. <laughs>
1: that's dirty yeah let's get it booked for next week baby
0: yeah we'll get it going all right i mean we can we can probably wrap it up it's been a longer episode but an awesome episode and uh one i'm excited to get out there but carzy you want to take it away with the usual outro you flipped it to me last week and i, I crushed yeah, no. it. but i'll give it back
1: I, I threw you on the spot but the fans were texting me and saying that they wanted to hear hear me send it away again so with that being said um everyone happy golfing Happy long weekend this past weekend. I hope everybody had a safe and healthy long weekend. Uh, Had a little bit of fun. Maybe got their vaccine like myself. And uh, if you haven't yet, try to sign up. Let's get those vaccines rolling. And that pretty much does it for me and Rask. So have a great week. Enjoy the hot summer sun. And we'll see you next week.